0: Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. This is God's word.
1: You may be seated. Thank you, Meredith. I ask people to read Scripture, and then I throw at them nations that they've never seen or uh, read before. And well done, Meredith. Thank you very much for that. Um, Acts chapter 2 is another incident in the Bible where there's fire. There's fire. Um, Over and over in Scripture, we see that God, when He shows up, He shows up in fire. If you go back to the Old Testament... Um, the Israelites are wandering through the desert, and what are they led by? They're led by a pillar of cloud by the day and fire by night. Uh, in Exodus chapter 3, it was one of the stories that we covered a few weeks ago. God shows up to Moses, and he shows up in a burning bush. In Exodus chapter 19, God descends on Mount Sinai, and they're so the, the, the mountain is enveloped, Right? in clouds and smoke because God has descended in fire and the whole mountain is covered with smoke because there's so much fire. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham is given a promise by God and God makes a covenant with Abraham. And the way he does it is that he splits some pieces of animal. That was a very familiar way to make a covenant back in those days. And the way God walked through the pieces was a burning torch. That was God walking through making a covenant. And so he showed up as fire. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel has a vision of God. And he says that God's glory, when he saw God, had the appearance of fire. And so why in the world, when God shows up all of these times, why is fire at the heart? Why is fire the picture that we're given? And one reason is because of all that fire represents. And it, and it tells us a little bit about who God is. When you think about fire, you think about uh, the power that fire has. Uh, it can either be power for our comfort. We have been able to harness fire, right? Or it can be power for destruction. But there is inherently in fire this, this power. There is purity in fire. It refines things. It removes things. How many of you have hot dog sticks? Like metal hot dog sticks. Uh, do you ever clean them? No. What do you do? You just stick them in the fire. Right? You just stick them in the fire. That's all you need to do. Because fire cleans. It, it purifies. Uh, fire has this beauty to it. There's an attraction with fire. It's mesmerizing. You could sit for hours. There's a reason that movies, you know, have these really awesome scenes in front of a fireplace, okay? Because it's kind of mesmerizing. And, um, uh, and so it's awesome to be around a fire with a good group of friends. I mean, you could spend hours like that because a, a fire is attractive. But also, a fire is unsafe right? It's inaccessible. We, we want to get close to a fire, but there's only so far we can go before we, we have to stop. I have a wood stove in my house and uh, we burn a lot of wood in the winter. And I tell you what, I love the fact that when it's single digits outside that I can go to a room in my house and I can keep it at about 80 degrees. That is awesome to me. You know, and that's why we do it. That's that's why I mess with wood now when it's 101 uh, so that I can have that 80 degree room in the wintertime. But it, to have that 80 degree room, there's a there's a stove that's at 450 or 475 degrees. Right. And so you want to get close to the stove, but you can't get too close or your hand or your leg or something will be 475 degrees. That's not that's not good. And so fire, it draws you in. You want to get close to it, but there's there's a line and you can't get too close. And all of those things about fire help with what God is like. God is a, a God of power and strength. God is a God of holiness that purifies because He is righteous. God is beautiful and He is satisfying and He is attractive. But most of all, He is justice. He is justice. Sin has separated us from God and made him inaccessible to us. And so the more we want to get close to him, the more we realize there's a line that we just can't cross because sin has made it impossible to get as close to God as we want. There's a good example of that in Exodus chapter 20 when When God descends on Mount Sinai and the people of God saw the thunder and the lightning and the smoke and the fire and they saw God, they trembled in fear and they would not draw near to God Uh, when God came, they said, hey, Moses. We understand we can't draw near to God. We, we, we are going to stay away from the mountain. Here's what we want you to do. We want you to go up the mountain and you speak to God. And when you talk to us, we will listen. But don't let God talk to us because we realize we will not survive that. So you go up in our place and bring that back the message. You talk to us because if we talk to God, we, we, we know we will die. Because there's a holiness barrier between... God and human beings we want to get close but the moment we do the understanding is that we're about to be burned there's a line that we can't cross and so fire is this great picture of who God is and uh, that's the way it was on the mountain in Exodus God comes down in fire but in our text chapter 2 of Acts God comes down again And he comes down in similar fashion. Uh, Luke describes it as a rushing wind and also fire, tongues of fire. Um, But here's the thing. It's different than other times that God showed up because the people react differently. No one in the room went running. No one in the room is afraid. No one is pushing one guy forward and saying, you go talk to God because we understand that if we start talking to God, we're not going to live very long. That didn't happen in Acts chapter 2. The presence of God came not just into the room with these first disciples, but it actually went into each one of them. And no one was consumed. No one died. No one went running. No one was afraid. In fact, the opposite happened. Luke says this, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with God himself. We could rightly say it this way. They were filled with his fire. They were filled with his fire. And so the question today is what in the world does that mean? See, if we took a poll out here and we said, "What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit?" We would get a hundred different answers, right? And most of those answers would be pretty much wrong. Uh, almost all of them would probably wrong, be wrong. Now, today is not going to be an exhaustive treatment of what it means to be filled with God's Spirit and and with fire, with His fire. But from this text, I want to just point out about three things that were indicative of these people after they had been filled with God's Holy Spirit, with His fire. And let me give you those ideas, and I want you to use them as tests in your own life for whether or not you are being filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, before we get there, let me, let me just note this idea that they were filled. Here they are in a room together, and something from outside the room came into the room, went into them, and filled them, and so affected them that they immediately changed. They were in a huddled group in a room separated from the world, and when... This presence of God came into each one of them. They immediately changed. They went out. They didn't stay huddled. They separated. They went out. They didn't stay private. They went out into the public squares. And this private prayer service became a public party that, that was all about praising God. Why in the world did that change happen? I'm pretty sure that most of us are after that kind of change in some part of our life, we have things in our life we want to be different. Whether it's our weight or our fitness level or our acumen for some skill or maybe maybe it's a piece of knowledge. And mostly in our world, we kind of go the Tony Robbins way. The Tony Robbins way is, hey, just look inside of you and untap that potential that's already inside of you... And when you can do that, then you'll change your weight and fitness level and acumen for skill and all that kind of stuff. And so the, the hint there that we get that the world is trying to tell us, the message is this, that your problems are out there and all the solutions are in here. That's the, that's the message we get. Watch, just watch TV this week and see if that's not true. When the commercials come on, See if they don't say your problems are out there and your solution is in here. In Acts chapter 2 is exactly the opposite. The problem was inside of these people. And the solution was out there. The solution was God himself who came in and filled hearts so that they changed. And we need that kind of filling because the problem with all of us doesn't necessarily lie out there. It absolutely lies right here. And so I need filled with God's spirit and you need filled with God's spirit. And so what does that look like? Here's test number one. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means that I understand what God has done, that I understand what God has done. Luke says that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and then they began to speak. And this is the part that we all latch on They began to speak in other tongues. And I just want you to know we're not going to spend a lot of time on that today. Tongues just means they were beginning to speak in languages that they had not previously known. And these were languages that were completely understandable to some of the people in the crowd that they were talking to. And so what I want to skip, I want to skip over the tongues part and I just want to focus on... What did they say when they began to speak when after they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak? What did they say? Skip down to verse 11. You have to go quite a ways before we're told what they were talking about, what they talked about. And they talked about this. The phrase is the wonders of God. And this is all about understanding. The Holy Spirit comes and fills these First disciples, and because he fills them, they get a dose of truth about who God is and what he has done, and they begin to speak about who He is, and what He has done. They begin to speak about the mighty works of God. That's what some of your translations say. They begin to speak about the wonders of God. The Word means the miraculous acts of salvation by God in history. And I'm sure that they took people back to the Old Testament and they said, look and see through history what God has done. He helped Moses cross the Red Sea and and He saved our people out of Egypt. And look at all of the examples in the Old Testament that... God saved us, but then all of that points to a person, Jesus, who all of that was a foreshadowing. And the climax of, of the story, what they surely was, would have told was that all of the, those things built up to the story of Jesus. And so being filled with God's Spirit means that these people began to talk about and tell the story of Jesus, declaring the things that Jesus had done to win salvation for everyone. And so they would have talked about his perfect life that he lived, his death, that he was buried, and he was actually dead. And then three days later, he rose to life, right? Now, compare that picture with the picture that we just talked about of Moses on the mountain. When Moses is on the mountain, God comes down and the people say, Hey, Moses, you go up. And so Moses goes up the mountain and he faced, literally, he faces the fire of God. And then he comes down the mountain. And when he comes down the mountain, he comes down with what? Does anybody remember? He comes comes down with a list of ten commandments. Right? You remember the story? He comes down with a list. And he says, here's what we must do. In Acts, it's a little different. God comes down, and these people don't have to face the fire. They are filled with the fire. And the message they come away with is not, here's what we have to do. The message that they start to speak and start to give to everyone who will listen is, here's what God has already done for us. Just in those two pictures you have the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament and what a difference Jesus makes because He is the fulfillment of all of those things in the Old Testament that uh, God was pointing to. Jesus made a way for us so that we don't have to do anything to be right with God. Jesus has already done it for us and that was The message, look at what God has done. If we want to be a Holy Spirit-filled church, okay? And that, that phrase has all kinds of baggage. I get that, okay? Just try to toss that off of your brains for a second. If we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit here in this church, here's what it looks like. The first requirement is to stop talking about what we've done and to consistently and constantly point to what Jesus has done to his mighty works. And so being filled means first, I have understood the truth that being right with God has nothing to do with me being good enough and everything to do with Jesus being good enough. It's about his wonders, his works, the things that he's already done and not about teachings that I have to do. Here's test number two. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means that I get along with people that I have no reason to get along with. That's a little different, but it's right here in this text. You notice uh, throughout this text, there's this multicultural thing going on. Um, People are coming on Jerusalem from everywhere, and that's because it was a Jewish feast called Pentecost, and Jews from all... Every corner of every nation would come and they would descend on Jerusalem. And they were there in this place at that time. And Luke even takes ink and paper resources to record all of the groups that might have been represented. And his order that he writes these in even points to something. He says there were people from, Parth- there were Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia. And if you look on a map, those are all east of Jerusalem. He says there are people from Judea. And if you look on the map, that's the center. He says there are people from Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia. And if you look on a map, those are people that are north. He, look, he says there were people from Rome and Crete. And if you look on a map, map, those are people who are west. And he says there are people from Egypt and Libya and Arabia. Guess where, if you look on a map, those people are from? South. All of the nations that surround jerusalem are represented in this list north east south west and it's a continuation of acts chapter 1 verse 7 where jesus says you will go to the ends of the earth and what luke is saying is not only will you go to the ends of the earth but you'll go to the ends of the earth in every direction and let me ask this some of you have done that how many of you have traveled outside this country yes okay And we've probably, in this room, we've gone gone every direction. When you travel to another country uh, outside this one, what do you encounter when you get there? You encounter this. People who do things very, very differently than we do, right? Okay, I want you to... I, I want to just hang on one area. I want you to think of that trip where you went, and I want you to tell me just... If you're bold enough, just out loud, just tell everybody what was the weirdest thing that you ate while you were in this place, okay? Where where was it, and what was the weirdest thing that you ate? Kurt, I know you have an answer to this. Would you like to share? Chicken feet, and where was it? China. Who else? Jamie. Cambodia. And I missed something. Soda pop, and then Soda pop that had chunks in it. Was this on purpose? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Soda pop with chunks. Was there somebody over here? Yes. Where was that? Haiti goat. Yeah. I had some goat when I was in India. Yeah. One more. Anybody? Yeah. Eastern Afghanistan, and it was called what? Footbread. 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 So are people stomping on the dough? Is that the deal? We're not eating feet, right? Okay, that's good. Okay, it's just how it's made. Yeah. Uh, I was in Italy once, and we actually ate horse. Oh, yeah, see, that got to be... Oh, it'll do that. Oh, uh, to over there in Europe, it's, that's, that's not a big deal. To us, that's a big deal, right? When we encounter other cultures and we realize that they're different from us, here's, here's the first thing. You guys did it just then. Here's the first thing we do. Uh, that's not right. I mean, soda pop with chunks in it. That's not right. Come on. And, and the, the thing we come away with is they are lesser, right? We think our way is better. They are lesser, they're lower, they're regressed. We are the progressive, forward-thinking. We do things the right way, right? And it's simply because they're different. And whenever we find different, our first instinct is usually this way, that our, our way must be better. And that universal notion has a Genesis point. And literally, it has a Genesis point. If you go back to the book of Genesis in Uh, In chapter 10 and 11, you have a table of nations. And right after that, you have uh, this construction of the Tower of Babel. Where a bunch of nations came together and they said, we want to make a name for ourselves. And everyone at the same time was trying to make a name for themselves. And so it was a dog-eat-dog racial-cultural superiority clash. Because everybody thought, my way's better. And God comes down. And he makes it permanent by confusing their language. But here in Acts chapter 2, we have a reversal of what happened in Genesis chapter 10. In Babel, there was one language that was turned to many. And there was confusion, there was misunderstanding, and there was disunity. But in Acts, we have many languages that are turned into one message. And there is understanding. And people who are radically different in every way, and people who eat foot bread and people who eat, uh, drink pop with chunks in, are brought together and they are suddenly unified with the message of God's salvation and his wonders. Because being filled with the Spirit always brings unity. It always puts people back on the same page. And so with all of that in mind, we can simply just ask ourselves this. Are my relationships to the kaleidoscope of broken humanity around me, and that does exist even in Bourbon County. There are different people all around you, right? People who do, do, different, do things differently. Are my relationships to the kaleidoscope of broken humanity around me being changed because of what God has done in my life? Because that's what being filled looks like. Here's number three. And this is a fun one. Uh, Being filled with the Holy Spirit means I have a joyful fearlessness because I'm more aware of reality than ever. And I have to explain that because that's not easily understood, okay? The surprising thing here in this text is that there is a comparison made. There's a comparison made by the people that are listening to these disciples who had been filled with the Holy Spirit. The disciples are filled. They go out and they start preaching about God's works of salvation in languages that those present can understand. So there's multiple languages going on. They're all talking at the same time. And so if we pull back from that picture, we understand that, I mean, if you're just an onlooker, this is mass chaos and just babble, right? That's what's going on. And so some onlookers conclude this. It's in, it was in the very last uh, verse that Meredith read. They must be drunk. Did you catch that? They must have had too much to drink. They must have too much wine. That's what's happening. Peter, when he gets up to address the whole crowd, he even it has enough weight that he feels like he has to address it. And we didn't read this, but in, in verse 15, he says, Hey, These people are not drunk, as you suppose, because after all, it's only nine in the morning. See, Peter knew the song that it's not nine o'clock somewhere, it's five o'clock somewhere, right? That's how it works. Nobody does this early in the morning. So these people aren't drunk. But isn't this surprising that this kind of comparison would be made? to the people who are filled with the Holy Spirit that onlookers would think, I think they've had a little too much. Why in the world? That's not a comparison I'm making. That's a comparison that Luke writes about. And he says it was apparent on that day to other people that they were thinking, these people are drunk. Why is that the case? Because being filled with the Holy Spirit, let me finish my whole thought here. Okay? being filled with the Holy Spirit must have some connection to what it looks like when people are drunk. Let's, let's explore that a little bit. We've probably all had experiences with people who have had a little too much. Okay? Some of those experiences are not funny at all. And I don't want to make light of that kind of experience. But a lot of them are. Right? I have had experiences where people that I barely even know will have too much, and all of a sudden, I find them sitting beside me, and they say things that they would never, ever tell anyone, and yet they are free with this kind of information, their deepest secrets and their deepest insecurities, and their failures in life, and they're saying, oh, I've done this, and I've done this, and I, and I have to say, uh, what was your name again? I, okay, why does that happen? It's because when we get filled with alcohol, the thing that happens to our brains is alcohol is a suppressant. It suppresses the truth. And so, when the more we are filled with alcohol, the less aware we are of the reality around us. And you, how many of you know this is true, right? You've seen this. People become less aware of reality, and they become free and uninhibited, and the walls go down. The, go, the walls go way down. Sometimes the walls go too far down, right? And we have to turn to people and we have to say, you need to realize that there are other people in this place and they all have their clothes on, so you should stop taking yours off, right? Okay. Is there a connection? Alcohol suppresses the truth around us. Look at our text. Something very similar is happening. People are freely opening up without care or concern, expressing who God is and what he has done in a joyfully uninhibited way with energy and life without fear. The walls are down. They are being vulnerable. They are being open to people. Okay? But it's very different. And so being drunk is like being filled with the Holy Spirit, but it's also very, very different. When you're drunk, your walls are down because you're suppressing the truth around you. You're not aware of it anymore. But when you're controlled by the Spirit, the exact opposite happens. You are more aware of the truth that you live in. Your cognitive abilities are heightened because the Holy Spirit has come inside of you, and it's begun to tell you the truth about who you are. That you are loved by God. That Jesus has died and your sins are no longer consequence because he paid for them. The spirit comes in and he begins to tell you that you are God's child. That you have an inheritance. That you are free. That even if you die, you will live. Because Jesus defeated death and lives. And all of that truth, you become more aware of it than ever because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of that truth gels together to overshadow every fear, every worry, every opinion of somebody else. That truth gels together to make someone who is fearless. Someone who is uninhibited. Someone who is joyfully reckless and living life rightly. You see, what alcohol does is it makes us less aware of reality so we do stupid things. But what being filled with the Spirit does is exactly the opposite. It fills us with the truth so that we are called and we live rightly and correctly and with joy and with love. Thomas Goodwin is a 17th century British British Puritan pastor, and he tells a story about one day he was watching a father and a little son walking along the street, and they were talking. But at one point, they turned to each other, and the father, uh, like uh, some fathers will do, swept up his son in his arms and hugged him. And at that point, the boy put his arms Around His father's neck and they hugged and kissed and they said that they loved each other and after that was done He put the boy back down and they kept on walking together and thomas goodwin asks this of that picture He says was the little boy more of a son in the father's arms than he was down on the street The answer is legally. No He was as much a son in his father's arms as he was walking beside him on the street So legally there is no difference objectively, if you're just looking from across the street, there is no difference, but to the son. Subjectively and experientially and existentially, there's all the difference in the world. In other words, in his father's arms, this son was experiencing his father's love. He was experiencing his sonship. And what that means is that when the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and fills us, we are sensing God picking us up That we are in his arms. It's an assurance of who you are. It's taking all the things that you might know with your head, but it's making them real. One of the ways that we know that we are filled with the Holy Spirit is that we begin to, to say to ourselves, wait a minute, wait a minute wait a minute, if if somebody is all powerful like this, if God, the creator delights in me, and if he's gone to infinite lengths and depths to save me at infinite cost to himself, if he says he'll never let me go, if nothing in heaven or earth at time or eternity will ever separate me from him, if he will always hold on to me, if he's always going to glorify me and make perfect and Take everything bad out of my life eventually. If he's going to do that, if that's all true, then why am I worried? We could say it this way. If God is blank, then why am I blank? If God, let me fill those blanks in for you. You'll you'll need to fill them in for yourself because I don't know where you are. But I, I could fill them in just hypothetically. For you today. If God is the provider, then why am I worried about money? If God is the life giver, then why am I worried about death? If God is loving me more than anyone can, then why am I working so hard to get that person in my life to love me? If God is turning everything into good, then why am I so concerned at the left turn that my life is taking right now? If God is my maker, then why am I so dissatisfied with who I am? If God is forgiving, then why am I beating myself up over my failures? If God is worthy of my trust, then why am I running from him? If God is living inside of me, then why do I feel so empty? See, being filled with the Spirit means that I am more aware of reality than ever. And that makes a difference in how I'm living my life. God comes near. Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and on the mountain in Exodus chapter 20. And he comes near, but that's all he can. Moses can't go any farther. The people can't go any closer. But in Acts chapter 2, he comes down in us. And there's a little word in the text. That the fire, the tongues of fire came down and they separated and they went into each one. And so God is present. He is filling. He is overflowing each one at the very same time. And they begin to give off all of the qualities of God, the qualities that we would use to describe fire. They speak in power. They speak about how we have been made pure and right because of what Jesus has done. They speak about that his display and his, he has beauty and attractiveness. They, they speak about the works that Jesus has done to win salvation, and all the people around are amazed, they are bewildered, they are attracted. And we could say it this way: that God came near to Moses in a burning bush, but in Acts chapter two, God shows up in each heart, and each one becomes a burning bush. And they live life so differently. That people have to turn aside and say, What does that mean? What does that mean? That's what they asked in the text. And that's the best question we can ask today. What does this mean for us? Well, I, I'm not sure I have this gospel thing down. I, I mean, I don't understand it. I, I thought I was coming and I was supposed to follow a list of rules. Well, I, there's someone that I'm at odds with, I don't really like them. And I need to say to God, help me stop trying to make a name for myself. Help me to love everyone like you love them. Help me to be unified with those people that I disagree with. I need to remind myself every day of reality. Maybe that's where you are. I need to remind myself every day that God loves me more than anything else. And I need to let that overshadow my fear and my worry and the opinions of others that may dominate my thoughts. What does that mean today for you? What does this mean? If you're just answering the question, then you're wise. And you're filled. Father, I thank you for the spirit that lives inside of us. Would you in this place and in each heart move once again? And not just here. I mean, we, we need you to, to be with us and move in us as we're outside of these walls. And so we ask you to show up in fire in our lives. Help us to understand what you've done for us through Jesus Christ. Help us to be unified with each other. And Father, help us to be more aware of the truth than ever. Help us to be filled. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.